Hey, everyone. I just want to say thank you for your support of my new YA novel, Malro and the Midnight Organ Fight. Now, the book has been out for about a month. And if you've been listening to the podcast, you know I've felt very weird about promoting it. Why? Well, (laughs) where do I start? There's a lot going on out there in the world, and me sitting here and telling you to read my new book while a pandemic rages globally and a long overdue conversation about race is happening and political unrest is rattling our country to its core, it's felt a little tone deaf uh, for me to sit here and say, never mind all that, read my new book about murder. Well, it's not exactly about murder. It's about two teen detectives trying to solve a series of murders one summer in San Francisco. It's Sherlock Holmes meets Rick and Morty. It's as simple as that. It's fast. It's funny. It's the kind of book you can knock out in a day. Anyway, I've been getting some really great letters, and I'm happy to say it seems like you guys like the book. Thank you for reading it. Thank you for writing to me about it. And thank you for supporting your local indie bookstores and buying it there. I've got too many letters to read on the air, but I will respond to them all. Uh, Here is a particularly weird one from Jax in Huntington Beach. Dear Alex, I stole my friend's copy of Malroe and the Midnight Organ Fight and took it home and read it that night. I loved it, and I don't want to give it back to her, so I'm sending it to you in hopes that you'll sign it to Jax from Alex. Then my friend Sierra won't want it back because it will have my name in it and not hers. Do we have a deal? <laughs> uh, well, J- Jax, I'm glad you liked the book. Uh, I'm glad you want it for yourself. Uh, I'm not sure how good of a friend you are. But look, man, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to sign your book, which is really Sierra's book. Uh, then I'm going to sign a book for Sierra. I'm going to put it in the package. I'm going to send them both to you, okay? So give her copy her new copy, to her, all right? I'm trusting you. I know you'll come through for me here. Uh, And stop stealing people's stuff, dude, all right? (laughs) Now we have a deal. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. I've been trapped in my own thoughts. Lately when I'm feeling on I woke up and summer's gone So where the hell are we going? I just always wanted you to be my lifesaver You call me down, I fucked it up Cause I'm a risk taker I think I'm going through something All I know, all I know Is tonight I got nothing I'm not going home new single from Neon Trees, a band which features my guest today on the program, Tyler Glenn. Let me tell you a little bit about Neon Trees and Tyler Glenn. So my whole life, I've had conversations with my friends about who the greatest frontman of all time is. It's an impossible conversation to put a button on because there is no answer. Well, there is no answer besides Freddie Mercury, but seriously, You can't come to a consensus because it's so subjective. 
And the fact is, no matter who you come up with, Freddie Mercury, David Lee Roth, Bruce Springsteen, all of the nominees have something in common, a wild charisma and an undeniable wattage that kind of lights them up in the most utterly captivating of ways. Those are kind of obvious choices that I just mentioned, but then there's the understated, less obvious choices like Michael Stipe of R.E.M., Tim Booth of James, Mark Mulcahy of Miracle Legion, or David Byrne of Talking Heads, all enigmatic presences with mercurial aesthetics and a presence you can't explain, you just have to see. Long story short, well, it's hard to come up with an answer for who the greatest frontman of all time is. But here's the good news. You don't have to have an answer. All the people I just named, and so many more, have that thing that just makes them utterly watchable. And that watchable thing is mysterious, it's powerful, and it's riveting. When they get on the stage, the molecules of the room shift, and nothing is the same. Well, I've covered a lot of real estate here, but the point is, another one of those utterly watchable, unreasonably charismatic frontmen is Tyler Glenn of Neon Trees. He's got it. A spellbinding presence, Glenn is one of the few frontmen in music today who is awash in presence and mystery. We'll get to Tyler in a second, but first, a little background. The California-born Glenn formed Neon Trees with his childhood pal, guitarist Chris Allen. They moved to Utah, added drummer Elaine Bradley and bassist Brandon Campbell, and they were ready to go. And when I say ready to go, I mean this is a band who got the ball rolling and it just wouldn't stop. They put out three albums in four years, 2010's Habits, 2012's Picture Show, and 2014's Pop Psychology. And that concentrated level of activity yielded some pretty impressive results, like nabbing Billboard and BMI awards for the alternative chart-topper Animal, touring the world and opening for everyone from Duran Duran to The Flaming Lips to My Chemical Romance, playing the Macy's Thanksgiving Parade, performing on Kimmel, Fallon, Leno, and Letterman, doing an episode of Live from Daryl's House, and having their single Everybody Talks in a commercial for the Buick Verano. And that's just a partial list. But rather than me running through their LinkedIn profile, let me say this. Neon Trees are one of the most original, arresting, and utterly satisfying bands on the planet. Every song has a perfect balance of edge, melodicism, musical precision, and infectious choruses you just can't forget. I love this band, and I love their new record. Breaking a six-year silence, they're back with I Can Feel You Forgetting Me, a sterling collection of one manic pop thrill after the other. From Nights to Everything Is Killing Me, Glenn and his bandmates swing freer than ever, and it results in one of the very best albums of 2020. As for Tyler Glenn, well, he's been through a lot these last few years, and I'll let him tell you all about that, but let me say this. He's not only a thoughtful and charming guy, he's honest, he's self-possessed, he's present, and he's comfortable with the notion that as people, we are always learning, always evolving, and always getting closer and closer to where we want to be. Enjoy my conversation with Tyler Glenn of Neon Trees right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast.
different every day. Um, I don't know. Like today, I watched two hours of a Whitney Houston interview. I like you have more time to just like revisit like uh, stuff that maybe you wouldn't make time for normally. I don't know. I'm just digging into like just stuff. Oh yeah, I want to watch that, so I'm watching that. But I don't know. It's uh, you try to fill your days with meaning. I guess is what I'm. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I know that at first it was like for most musicians, it was like, oh, I can get some work done. I can get creative. Uh, but yeah. now we're you know, five months into it. What's changed for you? Well, I think the fact that we have this record is, is a nice like uh, it breaks up the monotony because I, you know, I can do stuff like this. I mean, I've stayed busy, like, you know, between. It, it being pride and um and i i you're right i like when it first started i like oh if this is the what we have to do now like i really dug in and leaned into like being online and doing a lot more ig lives than i normally would but like after a while you just you still want to like have a bit of like mystique <laughs> yeah know, like a bit of like i'm not giving everything away um and i i found myself like wanting that especially knowing we were going to put out a new body of work and I don't know. I I uh, I have been doing a lot of writing sessions on Zoom, which is fun with other artists. So just trying to like do what I do in the midst of all this uh, craziness. Tell me a little bit about what you mean by mystique and how do, how do you preserve that? Because obviously your your on stage persona is a guy, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. And then you and I talking is another guy. Um, but how do you preserve the mystique in between? I don't know. It's hard. We've been doing this for 10 years in the public. And uh, I think I've always had, I, I think a reason why I came out as gay so late was because I, that meant so much to me. It was like, um, you know, hiding, hiding in the stage persona, hiding in the, like the, the thing of my own design. And I grew up loving, you know, icons like Morrissey and, and, um, Freddie Mercury and David Bowie and Mick Jagger, these people that would play with gender and play with, play with sexuality. And so I always leaned into that. Um, I think, I think I also found a lot of power in being vulnerable though. And I've seen it, I've seen it like open up a lot of other people and have, we've had really amazing conversations and I've been able to probably get closer to fans with being a little bit more transparent. So I, I think I take, you know, I, I let people in to a degree, but I think, um, I don't, I don't tell them everything I'm doing every day, I guess. I, yeah. I try to use it as a bit of a, a tool and not as, as much as like, a this is my career now is like living completely transparent online, you know? So it's part of that. Also the fact that there's, you're not on stage right now and we don't yeah. know when you will be again. So that performative element is right now out of the equation. Yeah, heartbreakingly. Yeah. Uh, and I'm really feeling it too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's this thing my body got used to doing a couple times a, a month. Like even when we haven't toured, we've always been playing shows. Like fortunately, it's been if it's not a full tour, it's some it's it's a corporate show or it's a fly date or it's a festival date or some sort of promotional thing, but I I don't think we haven't I haven't been on a stage haven't not been on a stage in in years and years and years so like i feel this uh emotional emptiness honestly and it not even an ego thing it's more like i just i got used to like tearing up my vocals and, and sweating and 
having an, a kinetic energy and with a with a group of, group of people and I miss my band like I can only do so much on, on an acoustic guitar on a Zoom or a IG you know so yeah it's uh and it's and then I think of the bigger picture where it's like we don't even a know what it's going to look like when we get back who's going to be left standing it's it's a lot of serious you know serious serious things going on everywhere and then you can isolate every industry and go like this is really really affecting serious things and the ripple effect will be crazy and i know that that's a whole probably other conversation to be had but well no i mean it's okay i mean like for a living i i i'm a professor i'm a college i teach english at a university here in in the bay area just outside of berkeley and um and i'm i'm good in front of a classroom i'm not that great doing it by zoom you and i talking is that's great but doing a whole class that way i suck i'm not good at it Mm -hmm. i can't work the room the way i would work the room and it kind of plays with my head a little bit so i'm wondering like do you feel in that void (laughs) because that's an outlet for you and that's not there right now is that messing with your head a little bit i think so if i can be honest like i and look i don't want to sound pretentious or or artist esoteric artist guy but i I, uh, I think I found what I do well and I, and I was lucky enough to find that and find success in it. And I, you know, my, my strong suit, even though I can pull it off, I can, I can play acoustic guitar and sort of tune it away where I can sing really well over it. But like, it's not my thing. I, I, I love being a front person in this band. I love being an entertainer. I love, uh. I mean, I thank God I love writing songs, you know, yeah. I still, we still have that. Um, so yeah, I do feel a bit of like, uh, luckily this isn't my first time going through a, an identity crisis, but I, I feel a <laughs> bit, I feel a bit like where, I don't know, like I feel myself becoming a regular Joe and I don't know what that means, but it, I, if you knew where I was coming from, it's just more like, you know, there, there's just this thing that, that, uh, that I crave and I'm not getting to like quench that thirst or, or yeah. fulfill that craving, you know. You, I mean, you are a real force of nature on stage. I've seen you oh, uh, a couple that. of times, and you're one of my favorite people to watch. And I would imagine, you know, that energy that you're putting out, not able to do that, you have to sort of sublimate it and put it somewhere else, or do you store it up? Like, what do you do with it? <laughs> I, don't I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I I'm using as much force for good, I guess. Uh, yeah as much connection as you can. I, you know, you know, six months ago, I wouldn't have hopped on as many, as many lives. I always thought the tool was a bit, bit hokey. Um, and maybe that's my cynical side coming up, but I see the benefit of it now. It's like, Oh, well, that might be the only way I could even talk to my friends, uh, is hopping on some of these, these public FaceTimes or these public IG lives, you know? So, um, and, and I'm happy to do that. I have a lot of perspective in my life that I think at least some of my younger fans can benefit from. So I'm I'm happy to like give of myself. But at the end of the day, I'm still a human being that like has to remind myself to like, oh, you you can get out of bed today. You can like put on clothes and you know, you're gonna make it. Like I still suffer from the same things I suffer from, regardless of me being on a stage or not, or being able to yeah. make records. Like I still have to remind myself to like dig deep. Yeah. I find myself sleeping later than I should. That's yeah. the one thing I've noticed. 
Yeah, I I always have slept. If I didn't have anything, I, I've always slept till about ten or eleven anyway. So it's mm-hmm. like it's okay. Um, and I actually cherish those days where I can go back to bed. So yeah. there is something comfortable about like a like today's a press day for me, and I'm I'm in my living room, and I can walk to my kitchen and grab a coke and sort of prop have more comfortable pants on than I <laughs> normally would, or something. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, I do miss the like the whole thing. I, I liked that aspect of our job too. Like, so it's uh, yeah, it's weird. I feel very in flux. Like I'm sure the rest of the world does. Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure there are bands. You said something I hadn't even thought about that there are bands that are not going to make it through this. I didn't even think yeah. about that. Yeah, there's a lot of. I mean, I would say I'd venture to say I don't think we're. I don't even like rating sizes and metrics and. But but we're in a world where you have all that you're at your disposal. You can kind of see metrics of sizes of bands, and I I think we'll be okay. And I think we have a business that we've that we pay attention to and a cool management team. But I think there are a lot of those wonderful artists that I love that thrive on uh, on live the live thing. Yeah, and that's their thing. And I think a big chunk of our our whole career is that too. And I. I do worry. I don't want to put that even into the atmosphere because I would hate, you know, music's not going to die, but it's going to change. And I don't know what live music is going to look like in it. You know, lucky for us, I think we're, we're, we've gotten to play some bigger places uh, throughout our career. We've gotten to headline some, some amazing rooms, but like, you know, hopefully theaters have a life. Hopefully these beautiful venues that we have played time and again over the last decade, like survive as well. Like I'm cognizant, some of my favorite rooms in the Midwest aren't going to be around, you know, because people have to pay the bills and there's no way to, to do that right now. And there's no yeah. money being made off of half full shows. You know, no. I, I, I see comedy doing its thing and like, you know, I'm a, I'm a musician and I love comics. I find a lot of, you know, relatability in the, in the comedian experience of like having to like rough it for years and then, and then finally get to a, a place where you're playing bigger rooms. But like, it's nice to watch other uh, people in the in arts and entertainment kind of be creative, like dri- drive-in shows and, and shit. But like, I, I would feel so uncomfortable playing a drive-in because I thrive on like a packed audience, like moving and sweating and singing. And I would feel like we're doing it wrong if if people are in like separate cars. Like, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Like, it's all it's a whole weird new new frontier you know yeah and also i think it's hard to downshift i mean you've played like you're saying packed places with this huge kind of um atmosphere where there's there's an electricity there and that would feel more clinical to do it the other way yeah you know totally would yeah and that's not to say like i love when we go back to like really really intimate rooms or you know if if the if the the theme of the night is a bit more subdued i like stripping it down but i yeah it just doesn't almost translate at least what we do i think at the end of the day like i can make a record that has moments where it's there's mid-tempo or there's new sounds or things but like at the end of the day our show is going to be a neon tree show and it's usually like check your problems at the door and let's have a good time yeah it's human and it's relatable it's not just a fluff a fluff hour and a half but it's it's like, let's, let's go, you know? And that's kind of where I come from with live music. So I 
try to bring that um, for better or for worse. And I, I don't know how to do that right now. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Were you always comfortable being watched by by a sea of eyes, whether it's a hundred people or a hundred thousand people? Were you? Did you ever feel um, like when you come on stage, you really embrace the eyes? Are you that guy? It's a switch. Yeah. It's only, it's a switch. It's, uh, I can only liken it and this might go down a path that maybe you don't even want to go down, but like, I can only liken it to like, I, I came out as gay at 30. So all of my twenties and teenagers were compartmentalized Mm -hmm. and I learned how to just like, when it, when the time is right, pull out this side of you or pull out this side of you or push that away. And like for better, for worse, that's how I treat the, like that there's a performance switch that's like whether it's on a stage whether it's in front of a, a computer like there's just like okay it's time to like put on that hat or turn that switch on and then and then there's other times where I don't want to be looked at I don't want to talk about myself um and that's probably the other 70 percent of the day you know so I think I'm a very much an introvert but I I found a way to connect to people through my singing at an early age, like, you know, down to like when I was just singing in church and I saw like people like respond, you know, or so, so there, I knew there was something there that could either protect me or I could hide behind or use to my advantage or, you know, even weaponize at times, like, just like, this is what I can, this is my superpower, I guess. This is what I've discovered early on. So I don't always crave the spotlight and I, I think, you know, that's why, like, even in certain friendship circles that I have, like, I'm, I'm way more the guy, like, let's not talk about me tonight. Let's, let's, mm. you know, I'm much more that guy, but I do love applause and I do love the lights and I do, it does feed a part of me. So I think it's this weird narcissism and this weird, <laughs> this, this whole thing. I don't know. I get it. No, I'm, I don't like to talk about myself either. And I find that in conversation, if I'm doing that, I get uncomfortable. Um, I don't it just know. It's boring. To me, it does. It's it boring. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's territory. Like me. this feels like a conversation versus like, you know, just uh, where you're kind of answering questions and there's no response. It just, I'm like, okay, well, I'm, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm providing anything, but maybe you are. I don't, I much rather like have a, a correspondence and an edification. You know? Yeah. No, I, I totally agree with you. Have you always been able to find, because before I open the classroom door at the university, I always say to myself, okay, it's showtime now. You have to be be this guy. Um, and I can, always, I can always find the switch. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it's fully engaged, but I can always pretty much find it. Sure. Um, some days the voltage is questionable. Um, yeah. Are you always able to find and flip that switch when you go on stage? Sometimes it's like three or four songs in. Sometimes it's a particular show where maybe it's not our crowd or or it's a it's a show that feels purely to get the check and run. And that's never a show where fans are involved. It's more like you get to a certain stage in your career and you have opportunities to make some money that could be disposable or and so you take it and you do it. And I always treat those shows just like others, but sometimes I have to dig it a little deeper. Um Yeah. But that just that just comes down to like I I hope at the end of the day I still have integrity in what I do and like I still love for what I put out and align myself with. So I I don't know. 
but I, I also recognize this is like, this is our career and, you know, um, so I, I treat it, I treat it responsibly, but yeah, sometimes I have to dig, dig a little deeper. Yeah. And when you guys really hit big, did you trust what people were saying or were you suspicious of the praise? Like, can you take a compliment? Can you take it on that level or did it kind of do a number on you for a second? You know, we never like, I never felt like a critical darling. I never felt seen in the way where everyone was heaping praise on you. So like, I think when people did, I, I valued it for sure. Um, but I think the minute you like accept the good, you have to accept the bad too. So like, I kind of just take it as like, well, how do you feel about this? Like I, you know, I, I kind of look inward and go like, well, I still stand by this body of work or I really love that song or I knew where we were coming from, from that. So they have it completely wrong. And at the end of the day, I, I, it's gotten me through a lot of the, you know, when you're first on the scene, everyone's comparing you, everyone's asking who your influences are and trying to compare you to them. Yeah. Um, everyone's sort of chalking you up as like, all right, they did this. Okay. They did this, but can they do this? It's this weird, this weird competitive thing or this analyzation of, of, uh, of things that I don't think are meant to even be like overly critiqued or analyzed, I think, but for better, or for worse, like I love music criticism and I, I love rock magazines and I grew up reading them. And so a certain degree, I accept, I accept that is part of the thing too. But, um, I, I always, I think at the end of the day, I'm a, I'm a self deprecator and I, I've learned to go like, that's probably not serving you all the time, actually, you know, and, and learn to like go like, well, no, you argued at this. Like, I don't know. I don't, I, I really don't even feed into the good or the bad anymore. Mm. Um, and, and so if there is a good response, I, it's a, always a nice surprise. Yeah. Yeah. So you just sort of let it come and take it as it shows up. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, it's taken me a while to get, to get to this level, level presentation of a human being, but, <laughs> <laughs> but here I am. Well, it's interesting to hear you say you're an introvert because every musician I've talked to has said the same thing. Yeah. And I always say it's really interesting how you're in the performing arts, right? You are, your life is based on being performative, right? And yet everybody has said, but I'm an introvert. And it's sort of yeah. like, that's really, it's really, to me, it's fascinating to it have that. It makes no sense to me when I say it. It makes no sense. Yeah. yeah. But it's the truth. Like, you know, I don't know what else to say. Like I, I'm so, um, I think for me too, I was raised in suburbia in California in a Mormon family. Um, I didn't, so I always kind of like, even still my nature is just to go like, oh, well, I'm not that, that guy. Like I'm not that star. I'm not, even though to a lot of people, maybe I am or, or to a certain circle, I, I am that to them. Um, so I think maybe it's helped me. Like I used to use self-deprecation as a tool to like show humility, like as a lot of people do. But I, I've realized like, no, sometimes those people like want, they want you to be that, that effervescent thing because they need that in their life and they've connected to what you've put out. So like, I try not to uh, self-deprecate as much publicly anymore, but I still go to bed uh, going like, yeah, I don't. I don't know about you, man. <laughs> I still am my worst enemy. So, <laughs> I always thought an introvert was just somebody who was quiet, but that's not okay. really the case. An introvert is really somebody who 
gets their power taken from them by extroverts. Mm. <laughs> right? Oh, that's cool. I've never heard it that put that way. Yeah. So like, it's like uh, somebody can actually like vampire away your, totally. your energy. Right. Well, and for so long too, I, I, and I don't mean to always bring it back to coming out of the closet, but that's just intrinsically part of my story. Like I, yeah. I think I got good at hiding and good at just being around vamp vampire people like g suckers and i would just always put that before myself because i was like well at least you're like participating and at least you're you know semi getting by in this whole thing and it hasn't been until the last three or four years though like i've gone oh like you need to have boundaries and like codependency is a thing and like this weird like when you let everyone in like and you feeling depleted at the end of the day and also feeling like like mad at people for no reason like that's actually like not serving you like i think these themes kind of bleed into this new record too is where i'm really confronting the codependency that i am trying to assess more and more as i as i progress in my life you know um so i don't think i'm there yet and i don't think this is an enlightenment record or me speaking from an, an enlightened place but i i can recognize okay these are things that aren't aren't actually benefiting you or your friends or the people you're in relationships with or, you know. Yeah, if you're not well-boundaried, people spot that and they'll, oh, take, yeah. they'll just keep taking from you. Oh, yeah. And then you have this weird um, anger towards them that to them comes from nowhere. And you're like, well, you've been hurting me for years, right. but I've allowed you to. <laughs> right. I haven't told you. Yeah. Yeah. You've actually <laughs> been making me tired and sad <laughs> right all that stuff so yeah well i mean i just turned 50 last month and for the first time in my life i feel i can say no to people it's taken cool. me that long to get there isn't that powerful fucking hey yeah <laughs> feels so good yeah can you do that i mean you're a lot younger than me can you can you do that a lot of it yeah 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 i mean um only in the last probably since 2018 ish um have i like i mean i think a lot of it took me leaving the mormon faith as well like i talk about coming out but the bigger thing for me was leaving leaving that faith expression because it was so confining for me and i believed it was true and so like it kept me just from like living and and and, like just doing important things like that like like assessing like is this relationship good for me is this toxic is just simple things where like now i can go like yeah this person's draining me and we either need to figure this out or you know boundaries are so powerful i guess is what i'm saying yeah i didn't learn that language but like i've also learned a lot of people in in culture didn't know until until they got on the internet and was able to find other people that represented that too for them so i know i'm not that far behind for where I'm at, but it feels like I've been like playing catch up for years. So, yeah. I mean, we're just ever evolving. Right. So it's good that we're, that we're progressing as people and we're not the sure. same people we were. Um, when you weren't out, if, if the, if the theory that every action has an opposite or equal reaction. So when you were repressing that inside and not being public about it, did that, was that also eating you up as well? I mean, was there also a, an adverse reaction to that inside? Yeah. Um, I just, I mean, imagine like, I don't know. I think I feel like 
we were lucky to have our our first song animal was like connected immediately and i didn't expect that but like it launched us into this whole thing where we were just touring nonstop and playing everything and i loved it but i was able to hide in it and i i thought i was happy but you check yourself when you're you're ostensibly at the height of your career in like 2012 13 and you're deeply unhappy like i was deeply yeah. unhappy on a tour bus with a crew at a huge venue we're headlining with costumes in the everything i ever would want as a show person and i'm deeply unhappy when i go to bed at night and and to to the point where i'm like i need to quit this or and i'm like what am i doing and so i think even just taking a break to assess and then get a little bit get a little bit of therapy like helped me just even go like oh you need to come out like you've been living this double life um so yeah like it was that was a huge thing and i i always subscribed to the idea of like it's nobody's business what your orientation is um you know i i i and as i said earlier i think i leaned into the like mystique of it all like i can kind of be the like gender play sort of glam, you know, rocker guy and not really ever have to answer to any of these questions. Um, but you realize like mental health is a thing and it was really, <laughs> really, really hurting me. Like it was really, really hurting me. Um, so yeah, I think there was a power in just announcing that. And, and then I've seen since and learned since like secrets do kill you. Like, you can design it how you want and think you're getting by. But I think if you're not fully living, um, at least for me, like if I, if I hadn't done that, I, I don't know where I'd be for sure. So it's only, yeah. it's only added value to my life by like living honestly and openly. Yeah. I was going to say, can you imagine 10 more years of not being out? I mean, no. might be crushing. Yeah. And it's also been like, I think I always feared like, Oh, I have to become a certain type of gay man. And I, I realized like, there's not one, just even like opening your eyes to like, to other walks of life, you go like, oh, like I can do it my way. And I, I've learned, you know, six years on from that, like I get to do it my way. Like it's, it is my life to lead. And, and, and I also get to maybe represent, um, a lifeline to, I've learned to other people that like need, need me to be that for them. And that comes with a weight. I don't ever want to be the perfect role model, but I understand like with this, with this access that I have, like it also, you know, can be, be a force for good for some people that otherwise wouldn't have that, you know? Yeah, of course. I had Morrissey, like I, and I think that was actually a bad role model. Like I, I've learned <laughs> now, like love him, love his music, but yeah. you, you understand how kind of self-loathing he still is and you go like maybe that's not the great model for for being you know i i take the i take the pieces that i love but i i kind of realize like he actually made me sort of like this self-loathing i leaned in that way way harder than maybe i even naturally wanted to be you know um so i'm glad that I, i'm not saying i'm ever going to be on that level of icon or legend but i I realize there are people that look at me in that way. And I, um, I want to, I want to represent something that feels like, Oh, cool. I still have a future left in this, in this life. You know, I still have yeah. a way, a way to be myself and figure it out. Sun goes down the valley of
and Bowie were my guys growing up too. Um, I grew up in the, in, you know, the mid eighties. So at 15 or 16, it was like 85, 86, 87, somewhere in there. And the Smiths were just the most important thing in the world to me. And um, when I wrote my first book, I, I was on a, I did a reading and someone asked my favorite author or my favorite writer. And I said, Morrissey, he's, he's basically informed everything that I do. Um, but he's Morrissey because- and Carrie Bradshaw, which are both bad, bad influences. Bad influences. I mean, <laughs> Carrie Bradshaw because uh well codependent yeah. as hell ended up with the the guy that like ru- ruined half of her 30s like what the hell <laughs> By the way, I don't think Morrissey and Carrie Bradshaw have ever been in the same sentence before so here we go there we go um <laughs> yeah. but he he was so important to me because I loved for me it was the humor and the sadness yeah, of course. right yeah I mean, like tragedy and comedy right there but like I, it informed the way I write, and it still does. Like I, I, it's always shocking to me when people go like, "But you, you write sometimes you write like such sad sounding music, or why do you like?" Sad? And I'm like, I always just grew up thinking like that was the cool, the cool music, or the music that was the real music was the music that talked about that real sad. I don't know. I always put on that 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 flavor versus like. I mean, I do. 
I do love pop music, but I, he informed the, like even our song animal, which for all intents and purposes, sounds like just like a, a summer, a, a summer drive song. Like you put it on, but I'm sneaking in a lot of like pessimistic sort of, you know, over it lines in there. And I, I've always been able to kind of, I've always loved, that's what I loved about the Smiths was like that, that yin and yang of like this amazing energetic sound to this, like really like over it self-loathing point of view, you know? Yeah. And the humor is just, it's unbelievable. It's so dark, but it's so yeah. funny. Yeah. I love it. You know, I, uh, I remember one line, like the pain was enough to make a shy ball Buddhist reflect and plan a mass murder. <laughs> I mean, who else can, can do that? <laughs> Put that in a pop song. <laughs> um, and he was so different than Bowie because Bowie's lines were more economical. Morrissey's were more expansive. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know? Yeah. I think what mostly hurt me was he was an example of a queer. Look, and maybe I'm getting in trouble now, but he was, he was my example of a, of a, a queer person. And so I just like modeled that. I was like, cool. I'll always kind of never give a direct answer and I'll always be secret. And maybe I am bi or maybe I'm not, or maybe I'm gay. And, and I'll leave this, I'll leave this double life. It's nobody's business. But I, it just, for me, like, that's not what I was meant to do. I was meant to like confront, assess and, and grow. Um, so I, and now you see how he's like grown into this. Look, this isn't a bad, I love him. I still have like three posters in my bedroom. As I, I do too. Of, of the Smiths. So it's like, <laughs> I do too. What am I saying? <laughs> but, uh, you know, he's, I don't want to be like him when I grow up. Can I say that? Is that bold? But I don't. And I, I love him. I love him. But <laughs> I know. I mean, the thing about him is that, and it's none of our business, but I don't even know if he really is out, really. I mean, I don't think he's really ever said anything. I think he said in one interview, going back early, 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 he, that he was a celibate bisexual. Yes. I remember that. I'm hearing that, okay. um, which is, you know. Um, That's his life. But. Sure. Sure. But to me, look, what I was asking you earlier about, you know, if you keep something in, does it does it turn sour? And I look at him and I go, what's with the far right stuff? Like that maybe that's what I'm saying. Like weird, weird stuff that you never would have. Um, if I knew that I, he had that in him, I wouldn't have probably dug as deep as I, or he wouldn't have meant as much to me, but I don't know. Maybe that's what you grow into when you sort of don't live. I don't know. I see. That's the thing. It's like, I'm acting like I know his (laughs) daily routine. I know. I, I, I don't. So. I know I'm the same. I don't either. Um, I asked uh, Kristen Hirsch about that very topic. And she said, well, just remember that genius is not a person. It's a visit. Sure. Oh, cool. Right. That's right. So you're just the conduit. So, um, but for me, I mean, his, his work remains uh, as powerful and important to me as it always has. Yeah. And like, I mean, you could, we could get into the topic of canceling. Like, I feel like my top three, other than Bruce Springsteen has been canceled. Like Michael Jackson is really hard for me to like really look into and, and listen to you now. Um, Ryan Adams, I, I sadly like, you know, he was my go-to the band brand new, Jesse Lacey. Like there's, there's these like really important bodies of work by these artists that I've cherished since I was a teenager. And now I don't know where to put any of that. I know. And it's like my top 
my top ones are the canceled ones. What's that say about my taster? I know. <laughs> at least, at least Bowie, Bowie's okay. Bowie's um, okay. Yeah. But uh, no, I grew up. I was a you know Woody Allen was my was another right. great writing voice for me, and now that's really troublesome. It's troublesome. Um, you know, has your in terms of your writing, in terms of your narrative style since coming out, has it? Have you noticed a change? Is there uh, a difference in the way that you're writing? Yeah, uh, I think I think it's well. A lot of it has to do with me getting to make a solo record um, that didn't have the band's name on it, and it, there was that. It just immediately allowed me to be fearless to just write about anything. And I happened to be going through a real faith crisis of my own, and was writing this record. And um, so I think that top that that record experience it taught me to be true to like how I was feeling and, and there doesn't have to be a ceiling on how you express yourself. Um, and I think I just carried that into this, this next body of work. I mean, this, this new album, uh, is the first I've written since being not only out, but also out of the Mormon church. So it's, um, it's the first time I've written completely just like in my own body. If that makes sense. Like I don't, yeah have any labels or things to funnel it through. I really have no like attached things. I'm just kind of me and it. So in that way it's informed my approach. It's also helped me go like, what are other influences beyond just the Smiths and like Michael Jackson and like eighties music that clearly comes, shines through in a lot of me on trees records. And like, that's my go-to favorite shit to put on. Like that's, I, I, I always put on the replacements. I always put on um, Prince. I always put on Peter Gabriel. But what are other things that really influenced you? Like certain R and B and and nineties, um, especially nineties R and B. Like I, I loved that while also being a Smiths fan and being kind of like this outwardly looking kind of like Robert Smithy cure goth kid, like in in middle yeah. school and high school. Like so, I it's helped me embrace other melodic influences like like TLC and Aaliyah and but also early 2000s emo music that I thought was probably not cool to talk about in 2010 and 11 when we first hit the scene like that was that was like oh you don't want to talk about that but (laughs) there's a lot of pop punk and emo and southern california influence that I think I allowed myself to sort of like creep in a little bit more as well or 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 just stand by and like be okay with that being an influence as well so I think in that way, I've, I'm letting a lot of the, the trappings, or the the scaffolding down that I kind of had up the first few years of my career. Were there Violent Femmes records in your collection? I felt that there might have been. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Not as like uh, as like you know record based. I've I've loved tons of songs by them, but I yeah. it wasn't always like digging in deep to like the psychology of of them. But but definitely an artist that like, you know, psychedelic furs, Depeche Mode, New Order, like those kinds of bands were my favorites in high school. Um, I knew I was born in the eighties, didn't grow up in the eighties, um, but like it was like that ten years later thing where it seems like every ten years later everyone revisits the ten years ago thing, and yeah. it's, you, it's only till you live as long as we have where you go like, oh yeah, that's just the thing that happens, and I think that was for me like a the Smiths, I discovered the Smiths in middle school from some friends that had them on their folder. And I was like, what is this? But it was like 10 years after they had already like 
put out their last record or whatever. So that whole era played with, with androgyny and gender and, you know, in, in such a cool fashionable pop way that, that just, there's so much from that era, even the poppiest to the most alternative from that era just speaks. It spoke to me immediately. And I didn't even know maybe what it was speaking to, but it, it just immediately was like, Oh, those are the, the bands I like, or that's the artist that I see myself in or, and also, I think that the women don't get enough credit. I think Sue, I think Annie Lennox, I think Grace Jones were also playing with yes gender you know, identity. One of, two of my biggest uh, my biggest female influences are Karen O and uh, from the AS and Gwen Stefani from No Doubt. Maybe not as much these days. I still love her, but I, I forget how much female, uh, like really powerful female led bands have influenced my style and my my approach to even performing live as well so yeah yeah oh no for sure and what you were saying is that when you're writing now you don't have to filter it through like an ambiguity meter right you can be a little more direct yeah yeah and there's power in that like i don't know if i use i don't even know if i use a pronoun on this record other than a, is you a pronoun you're the teacher you're the <laughs> <Forget>. pronoun <laughs> <laughs> i say you but i there's nothing gen- i don't think i use gender specific stuff but like i'm not afraid to do that anymore and maybe that goes hand in hand with like where we're at in culture like there's a lot more acceptance to a man saying he yeah and that's okay and it can probably chart even like there's not as much fear in in that so yeah i'm thinking about it as i talk to you but it's it's yeah it's interesting it's also cool to hear you say that you connected so much with Springsteen and the replacements who were also really formative things for me. The replacements a lot. Um, I love Springsteen, um, but the replacements were really um, that Tim record was so important to me. Um, yeah. What is it about that band that really connected with you? Um, I think just the songs, like I remember loving um, like Bastards of Young and yeah. Can't, Can't Hardly Wait. And there's just like this, the way he sang, like there was, he didn't necessarily classically have a good voice, but like you could tell he meant every word he said. And and in that way, like he did have a great voice. Like there was just, I loved the, the everyman nature about it. Like as much as I love these like superstar glam, otherworldly people in music, I, I think that's my draw to Bruce Springsteen. Like I discovered him, you know, probably Wait, I always chalked him up to being that corny born in the USA guy until uh, 9-11 when he put The Rising out. And I was probably 18, 17, 18 when he put that out. So it was like tail into high, tail into high school for me. And I, I just connected with the humanity of it. Yeah. And then it, it made me completely like obsessed. And I dove into like greetings from Asbury Park and E Street Shuffle. And and then discovering just this incredible like body of work that, that he has and um, a adored him i'd still adore him but he was so so shaping and it i don't know maybe that brings some of the humanity into my my style of writing or a bit of some of the storytelling that i sneak in on certain records and um but yeah he i there's a bit of like me wanting a draw to the blue collar of it all and the, the everyman that can have a microphone and a guitar and something to say and also that like otherworldly crafted fashion it's like kind of a meshing of my two favorite, favorite things, I guess. 
And also, I mean, you guys both sell it the same way on stage. I mean, Springsteen Thank really you. is a great performer. Incredible. Yeah. Still. Still. <laughs> yeah. Still. Just like hours long. Yeah. Stage diving and he's like 64 or whatever. Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> um, it's um, in terms of just getting up there and just delivering it. I mean, he really, there's a lot to be learned from how he, how he did that. Whereas Paul Westerberg really seemed to hate the process of everything. <laughs> he just yeah. So I mean, I used to, cause I, when I was young, it was like the nineties, I was told the best bands in the world are Nirvana and the Beatles. And so I hated Nirvana and the Beatles growing up. And I was like, the replacements was doing this loud, this loud garage rock sound before the Nirvana was like, I just had this like, yeah. and I don't know if that's a comparable thing really, but in my mind, I was like, I like the Pixies and, and the replacements. Like, why aren't we talking? Why aren't there shirts sold in Mervins or right. <laughs> or whatever, <laughs> you know, and that's no shade. Now I've been able to read, realign, reframe, redigest all of the, their, their bodies of works as well. But I, that was like, I was not going to be told like, you should listen to the Beatles. So right. it was later that I like realized, Oh, how formative and amazing songwriters they were and what they did to music. Yeah. Incredible. I mean, incredible. I mean, Westerberg stuff is so sad and, and so, so funny and smart. And so, um, no, he was, he's, those guys are all, they're all my guys too. I, I can relate. Yeah. Um, in terms of your daily practice for, for vocals, um, and, and I think a lot of people who listen to the show are, are young musicians. Um, are you practicing every day? Do you sing every day? Do you need to sing every day? Does it feel weird if you don't? I'm not singing every day. Um, the first eight weeks of quarantine, which I set off like at the beginning, like I leaned into the whole, I'm going to, if this is the tool to get us, you know, if this is the stage right now, I'm going to do it. But I did that not knowing that we were going to be in, month six or whatever i know <laughs> so i i started this friday night thing where i was you know i would play acoustic like acoustic set for you know five or six songs every friday and it felt really nice and i i actually realized no i want to do this because it i miss singing like i miss the exercise of it um and you seem a little batshit when you're like singing at the top of your lungs uh, to no one, and your neighbors are like, "What are you? <laughs> What's this guy?" Doing? <laughs> yeah, I've had security called at like midnight because I'm recording too loud or something. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I I don't necessarily do it as like as a daily. It's not a daily practice. I'm not, and sometimes I kick myself like, "Why don't you have? Why aren't you doing this routine by now?" But I. Uh, you know, I, I don't always do it, but then I realize how much I miss it. So it's this sort of thing I'm kind of navigating still. Um, but I, I, I probably sing at least a couple times a week, but it's just not a daily thing. Like maybe I should be. Is it, is it a, I mean, you can tell I'm not a singer. Is it a muscle that needs to be continuously worked on or worked out or can you let it sit for? For me, I notice it's my, like, uh, when I'm not, focusing on it or exercising it it's like i forget i lean back into the bad habits of singing like there's certain things like pushing too hard or like where like we've gotten used to in the last few years in between records and proper tours just like playing one-offs or fly dates and i i realized that muscle like if i'm not getting sleep the night before flying across the country to do a show don't get much rest before the show 
and then just go drink some tea and go on, it's actually going to putter out if you don't like, and that might be a combination of I'm not 25 anymore. I'm, I'm 36, you know, all those things where like when you're young, you feel like this is my talent. It's never going to go away. Um, so yeah, I, I'm cognizant. Like it is a thing where for me, like, I don't know necessarily if it's like, I think for me, it's just forgetting the like proper ways to sing sometimes. And you just go in, you go in hot and like, forget like, Oh, like maybe I shouldn't have pushed because now the next day I can't talk. Right. Kind of thing. Right. Cause it, it is, it is your instrument. And when you were on the road, were you careful about not getting sick? Cause that could really affect the, the performance as well. Did you have to kind of become hypervigilant of that? Yeah. I mean the first, the first four years of heavy touring, I didn't, I didn't drink or smoke weed. I do drink and smoke weed now. So that's like a thing. I don't tend to, I never get, I never drink beyond like maybe, maybe a lube, a lube up shot before a show or something, but I'm not one to, I I also don't like to be out of my body when I'm performing. I like to yeah. be like sharp. So, and that's not a diss to anyone. Like I'm always in awe of these rockers that can just like, be obliterated and play the show of their life. Like that's just not totally in me <laughs> to do. Um, I, I just know the bar that I can reach and when I'm not in full control. Um, but then I also notice, like, yeah, it, it actually ends up really kind of hurting you in the long run if, if you're not taking care of it. And, you know, I'm not, I know I'm not an old person by any means. No. Uh, and you're not either. I don't say that like. No, no, I appreciate. It. <laughs> that's not. That's not anything. But I, but I am older than I was, and I. It's and I think singing and and the energy that comes behind it is a young person's game. So I just have to remind myself, like, you know, take care of it and, and yeah, slow down sometimes and all that. What's your level of anxiety about this disease? I mean, are you are you feeling sort of attention about it? Are you feeling like it's going to be solved? Do you, do you feel a worry uh, about the world <laughs> just in general? Yeah. Yeah. I take it. I take it very, very seriously. Um, I, I mean, I, I have parents in their mid mid to late sixties now. Um, I have, you know, all my siblings have, have kids. I just am very like, I, I, I believe in science. I, I, and I think because I don't have a faith expression currently and I'm still rebuilding like what even my beliefs are spiritually, like I know I don't see any fault in science <laughs> and I believe to kind of defer to, to the scientists. So when they're saying, and look, every day we are going to have new, new things to focus on, or they're going to find out new things because it's a new, a new virus. So I, I do take it seriously. I, I I don't understand the people that aren't wearing masks. I don't. Yeah. I think it's foolish and probably steeped in weird racism that they need to figure out and all kinds of stuff. So I am, and I, I don't know if this is, a, it's become a buzzword or I don't know, self-help speak to say you're an empath, but I really sincerely feel like I am. I, I take on sometimes to my detriment way more energy than I need to. And I, um, I do, I, I do feel it. And I, I think a, a lot of it comes from the unknown and yeah, the, and then I look at my own life and go like, I got so accustomed to being able to like hop on a plane, not only to do, do my job, but just go see whoever I wanted or, or, uh, you know, that became such a luxury and now I'm deathly afraid to, to walk on a plane. 
Like, I don't want to, I don't really want to go there yet. Like, even if, you know, two months from now, LA opens up and they say, hey, you could go to a studio and write, or I'm just sort of like apprehensive, you know? And yeah, I don't like living my life with fear because I think I did for so long and I, I shun that, you know, I, I, uh, I re- reject shame and in, in all, in all that it comes with it. But I, you know, th- there are things to be scared of and to be respectful of and to, to be sort of, you know, careful with. So I am, I am sort of figuring it out. Like, the yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a scary time right now. And was there ever a moment where you guys thought about, well, maybe we won't put the record out right now. Maybe we'll hold it. Or was it always, let's just do it. We were initially going to put it out. I think when we put out the first single used to like last November, we were like, let's put this out in May of next year. And this was way before we, you know, months before we really saw the trajectory of this year. Um, and then we thought, let's move it to September. Maybe we'll be out. Maybe this thing will pass and we'll figure it out. And then we saw there was no end in sight. And I was like, I've been living with this body of work for more than a year now. And, and it, I, it feels urgent. And I, I'm also the type that needs to get out one body of work before I really dive into the next. Like I have, I have continued to write, but like I need to purge this so I can, I don't know. That's just how I work. Like I need to get it out, let people digest it before I even begin to like move on. Yeah. So I know there's people saying like, it's a terrible time to promote and and it's a weird time to promote. That's for sure. I'm not with my band. I'm in my apartment doing most of the promo. Like, um, and there's also not a lot of room right now in, in press for, for much else, which I, but I, I don't know, like we're not the, the biggest band in the world. So I don't think like we rely heavily on like multiple features and all these talk shows to like, really like, you know, I, I think we are kind of, I've seen our, the way our records reach success and the way our songs reach success is a slow burn. And I, I believe when you put things that you stand by and, um, care about, like your fans are going to hear them. And I, I think our fans have been waiting way too long. And I just didn't, I couldn't imagine putting out a waiting another year, waiting for the right time. It just doesn't make sense to me. And I, I want to continue moving on. I don't want to wait another six years between records. And yeah. Yeah. All that, so, yeah, it's also cathartic to put it out. And also, frankly, I mean, art is what saves us, you know, books, sure. movies, music, um, during a time of, that we're in right now. Well, I mean, you know, there's this very important conversation happening about race. There's political unrest. There's a pandemic, right? There's a lot going on. I think a new Neon Trees album is actually like a perfect thing to escape into. I just, I feel so crass and gross when people are like, you know, this record's about loneliness and isolation. What a perfect time. And I was like, well, I didn't like design, you know, I'm not trying to like put a price tag on everyone's, (laughs) <laughs> you know, self-loathing right now, like, and, and isolation, but it just happens to be like thematic. So I do like having, I always still use music. I'm still such a fan. It's still my favorite thing at the end of the day, like to listen to music. So I still, I still find myself in, in songs. So, you know, I, I, I believe that music can do that for others. So I am glad that these themes maybe like can speak to people right now, but I don't, I don't, I also feel gross 
like saying like, oh yeah, good thing I have a record about this <laughs> or whatever. Like, well, you know, my, my new book came out in June. It's a young adult book about two teen detectives trying to solve a bunch of murders in San Francisco. Cool. And I thought, and this is right when the George Floyd incident happened. And I wow. thought, how can I promote my book going, Hey, read my book about murder. It's like wow. not a good time for it. So I just kept my mouth shut and sort of quietly. I'm going to, I'm going to, it was, it yeah. And I'll, I'll do a, I'll do a more, it's a soft opening. I'll do, I'll do a, a more um, public opening maybe in September, but it just felt like, ugh. <laughs> I'd rather be in yeah. your, you know? Well, sure. And like, I, I don't know, like, I guess if we had more of a machine behind it, it could, it could chart in a different part in a different part of the chart than maybe it would or something like that. But I don't, I'm not even considering that right now. It's kind of sort of like, let's get it out there. And I also have seen the trend in like a lot of people don't even listen to records the first week and they come out and people kind of discover them. I, I just believe somehow I'm putting out things you stand by and believe in and, and hopefully people, people find them, you know? Yeah. I yeah. I agree. I don't, like as much as I like, love when like oh i'm i like seeing this song doing well or whatever like i am in a stage in my life where i'm able to go like i don't i don't almost need another everybody talks or animal or what you know whatever song people know us by like i don't i almost don't need that to feel like i'm like doing what i love you know i don't know it's it's nice monetarily and it gets you in different doors but i I don't crave it as much as like I needed it like maybe five, six years ago. And that's part of getting older too, is kind of realizing, right? You're evolving and going, well, maybe I need something in a totally different way from my art. Yeah, maybe. You know? Maybe. I mean, that's that's Bowie. That's why we got Low and we got Let's Dance and we got uh, Hunky Dory. Those are all these different records because he just needed different things from himself and his art. That's why we got So from Peter Gabriel. Like, that's why we got to So. Pop and it's like, one of the best records. <laughs> I totally agree. Yeah. Um, I'm grateful that you took the time to chat with me. I'm, I'm, uh, I've admired your work from the beginning, and it's you're a natural. And I just, it's so fun to talk to you about oh, about you. what you do. Thanks. You know? I'm, I'm happy to. Yeah. Yeah. I hope you'll get back on stage here in San Francisco. Um, when you do, it'll be fun to have you out here. But who knows when? Yeah. Yeah. We're the, now we're saying 2022, maybe. I don't know. I know. I know. Really and some scary. of my favorite clubs in San Francisco, like Slims has closed. Right. Um, we played Slims. Early. Oh man. Really? Yeah. So it's, it's and closed during this time. They're done. They're actually done. Oh. I know. I know. I saw you guys there and um, okay. there was a, it's a great club. And then uh, there's a few other places that are really in trouble. I got to do Broadway and I, I'm just like brokenhearted for that world Ugh. because I don't even know. And I, I know so many of my friends that live and die by the shows they're in and, yeah. And then they live in New York, which is a crazy expensive city. So it's just like, yeah, the arts are suffering. It's really, really wild. It's really scary. It's it's terrifying, actually. I just talked to David Cook. He was in, I'm not sure if you guys played the same role. Yeah, I, we played the same role. He was maybe a couple months before me. So when I came in during rehearsals, I got to watch him at night. So that's cool. He's yeah. Nice guy. Really nice guy. Um, I'm glad you got a chance to do it. I mean, it's, it's, I hope you'll, you'll do some stage work again. I hope any stage at this point, I'm, I'm down to get on. All right, man. Hey, great talking to you. Thanks for your time. Yeah, I'll talk to you again soon. Take care, buddy. Bye.
I enjoyed that. Tyler Glenn, really nice guy. And uh, Neon Tree's new album, fantastic. I can feel you forgetting me. Go get it. Neontrees.com will do the trick. AlexGreenOnline.com will do the trick for me. Check out my new book, Malro and the Midnight Organ Fight. Go buy it from your indie bookseller. Uh, they could use your help. Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use. Subscribe. Leave us a rating. Tell all your friends. You know how it works. You can find me on Twitter at Embers Editor, or you can find me on Instagram at Embers Podcast, or just email me, editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Who do you want back on the show? Who do you want on the show? Let me know, and I'll try to track these folks down. I'm willing to visit the ranch in Wyoming, (laughs) knock on the window and see if Kanye's up for it. Why not? Thank you, as always, for listening to the program week in and week out. We enjoy bringing you new content every week, and we really enjoy when you listen to that new content. So thank you very much for your continued patronage of our program. Let's close the show with a longer listen to the new song from Neon Trees. This is going through something. Enjoy it, and I'll see you next time right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast only on Bombshell Radio. I've been trapped in my own thoughts Lately when I'm feeling on I woke up and summer's gone So where the hell are we going? I just always wanted you to be my lifesaver Never be